looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is John Stober. John is the managing partners of Kronos Investment Partners. He's also the author of How to Analyze Big Apartment Buildings and Make Them Feel Small. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and let's get right to it. Alrighty, guys, today I wanted to introduce you to John Stober. He's uh, an author of a book and ebook, How to Analyze Big Apartment Buildings and Make Them Feel Small. He uh, reached out to me, sent me this book. Um, it's not very long. It's a little bit less than 100 pages, but it's great. I read it all in one sitting, took away some great value from that. Uh, John, thanks for joining us today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, Dante, thanks so much for having me. Um, and thanks for all your listeners for tuning in. Uh, so my name is John Stober. I'm from just outside of Washington, D.C., Maryland. I guess my story, my foray into real estate, I don't have some, you know, like big tragic event. Some people are super inspired. They have these huge whys. Mine was just, you know, when I graduated from college, I got my first job offer accepted, was looking my entire last semester of school for a job. And I finally got my offer, looked at the salary and the compensation package. And I was just like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> this this salary this pto package this isn't going to work because i'm never going to have any time to do what i want to do because uh, right. i don't have enough vacation and even if i did i'm not going to have enough money to actually go anywhere off of this salary so right there i immediately started looking for ways to make passive income i literally went to google and was like how do i make passive income <laughs> <laughs> and i got like cds bonds dividend stocks and real estate and the first three, you know, I'm looking at the yields on them and I majored in finance and accounting. So I had an idea of how much they would return. And I was like, man, most of these are under 5%. I'm going to need like one or $2 million to make 50 grand a year in passive income. How long right. is it going to take me to get there? And I start looking into real estate and the yields look a lot higher. You're actually building equity in the properties through cash out refinances and, you know, selling the properties. You can capture the equity and redeploy it. So I was like, I think I'm going to do this because if I can become a real estate investor, I can like pretty realistically retire by the time I'm 30 years old. I was 23 when I was going into the workforce. Um, so that's what I decided to do. And then I had to overcome a few limiting beliefs. You know, I'm not handy at all. I shouldn't be allowed to even touch a hammer or a screwdriver, let alone <laughs> swing one. And I'd always been interested in real estate, but you know, people, in my family, my friends, they're just like, well, how are you going to maintain your own properties? You know, you're going to have to learn how to fix a water heater. And I'm just like, oh man, like I'm not, you know, I'm not suited to fix a water heater. Did some books, you know, did some research on Google and found out that like you can hire these people called contractors to do that work for you in handyman. Yep. So when I figured that out, the light bulb kind of went off in my head where I was like, okay, I can leverage my strengths. You know, I'm good at numbers and spreadsheets. I can figure out a way to leverage that to do real estate deals. And I don't have to do the things I'm not good at, which, you know, includes being my own handyman. And that's kind of how I, I, um, I got started in real estate. Awesome. Great story. And, you know, 
like you were just saying, you know, friends, family were telling you, oh, you can't do that because you have to know how to do this. Da, da, da. You're, we're always going to have those people in our life that tell us, you know, we can't do it or we shouldn't do it. And usually those are kind of like the fuels of the flame that makes me want to do it just to say, ha, I showed you or I proved you wrong. Um, so, you know, to everyone listening to, I'm sure you have those people in your life who just tell you it's not a good idea, but those are also most likely the people that are working a nine to five that are too scared to go out and try anything. You know, John, would you agree with that? Yeah. These were all people nine to five. The only homes they had ever purchased were the houses they lived in and like a couple of vacation properties. So it's also the same people who are going, Oh, like, did you see what happened in 2008? And it's like, well, 2010 was probably the best time to be buying real estate. Whereas everyone, you know, you guys are running away from it. Exactly. So it's, it's not listening to the crowd. It's, it's listening to, you know, the minimal people. Now, how did you get started into real estate? What did your first investment look like and moving forward? Yeah. So I started that nine to five job. You know, I didn't, I still don't do real estate full time. And I had this really long commute up from around where I live in Washington, DC up to Baltimore, Maryland. It was really long. It was really expensive, like put a lot of wear and tear in my car, mileage, tolls, gas, all that. And I was just wasting so much time commuting. Couldn't stand it. And I ended up buying a duplex up in Baltimore City. It's probably it's one of the cheapest, most affordable places in Maryland. And it's that way for a reason. But I ended up buying this little duplex for I must have gotten in for less than 5K down. Wow. Rented my upstairs apartment and then I lived in the main level and then I rented my basement downstairs. And within like four or five months, I had made my down payment back because I wasn't paying any rent. So that was a pretty, I mean, that was a good learning experience for me financially. It ended up being really good living for free and just getting in for such a little amount of money. After that, I, I mean, I had to do like a, a couple month eviction, like literally on the first tenant that I oh, ever had geez. who lived who lived above me. Yeah, that was not comfortable. Um, definitely do do, do do due diligence on your tenants if you, you're inheriting like a duplex and you're going to house hack because right. I was literally worried she was going to like throw a brick through my window, which is where I slept. <laughs> and I was just like not going to wake up one morning. Yeah, so honestly. Like, yeah. yeah. So I was like moving my bed away from the window, sleeping out in my living room because I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't what know this what this person's going to do. Yeah. You, yeah. Unpredictable. Because I, mm-hmm, I didn't, I didn't do the screening on her, but so I got her out. I got a new tenant in there, had a really good tenant move into my basement and you know, that thing was up and running doing what it was supposed to do. So like I said earlier, horribly unhandy, shouldn't even be allowed to touch a hammer. Well, I knew to force appreciation on these properties, which is where the real wealth in my opinion in real estate is made. I had to learn yep. how to rehab and renovate. So found a couple partners and keep in mind, this is in Baltimore city where there's absolute shells of homes where you're going to need to do literally everything. Yeah. Well, we went out and uh, we bought one of those to flip, had to do literally everything in this house, plumbing, electric, HVAC, new roof, had to dig out our basement and then all the cosmetic stuff like flooring, you know, re updating the kitchen. And that was an absolute nightmare. Because not knowing what I knew, I was just like, oh, like I'm going to hire the plumber. He's going to come in, do the roughing. Then the HVAC guy is going to come in and like put in the, the ductwork. Then the electrician's going to come wire everything. And we'll just keep this thing rolling on an assembly line. Yeah. And that's just not how it works. <laughs> if only it was that easy. They make it sound much easier in the books, right? R- right, right. And then when you actually get into it, it's like, oh, my plumber didn't show up today. 
Well, the right. HVAC guy is supposed to come in three days. Now he can't show up and do his job, which means yep. I'm going to have to reschedule everything. And by the way, I'm paying interest on my hard money loan, property taxes, insurance, and you know, all security. those pulling costs with it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So like that's where that, that saying time is money comes from. Yep. So we're doing that flip. It was just it, that was a disaster of a flip. But while we were doing that flip, you know, my duplex was doing well. My partner had a fourplex. He ran into some issues with that, but, you know, he had to do a really long eviction. But as he'll tell you, his tenants paid for all of his eviction costs because he had a fourplex. Three of them were paying his bills. He didn't make any cash flow, but he wasn't coming out of pocket for it. Whereas on this flip, when we had to, you know, add anything to our budget, you know, that came out of our pocket. And we weren't getting paid till the very end. So we're just like, are we going to run out of money? You know, are we ever going right. to see this back? We have no idea. So that just kind of like set the light bulb off in our head where we were like, you know, we don't really even want to do like single family flipping, wholesaling and burrs to begin with. We just want to go buy apartments. Right. The apartments are performing right now, whereas this flip has been an absolute disaster. Let's just figure out a way to go buy apartments right now instead of waiting five or 10 years to build up a single family portfolio. And who knows if we'll even get there because it's not what we want to do. Right. Yeah, no, I totally hear you with that. And kind of touching back to where you bought that duplex, you rented it out, you house hacked it. Whenever someone's looking to get started in investing in real estate, you know, at my meetup group, I feel come up to me all the time, what should I do? How should I get started? I always suggest the house hacking because you're, you're living for free, basically, or very little or profiting very little. And you're also learning how to be a landlord one tenant at a time instead of taking mm -hmm. on two tenants, four tenants, six tenants, whatever it is that you're purchasing you're learning one at a time and you're figuring out all those mistakes. I'll never forget my first building I bought. The first thing I had to do when I closed on it, I had to go serve a notice to the tenants that were behind on rent. Um, I was aware they were behind on rent. It was a risk I was willing to take. And funny story with it, I told them, you know, on the notice, it said for you to receive your full deposit back, the unit had to be, uh, you know, rent ready and uh, broom swept. For some reason, they took it upon themselves to repaint the entire apartment and they picked like, the wrong color the wall wasn't they only painted like half the wall and they didn't uh cut properly or uh put tape up and i didn't even know this was going on until they vacated the apartment so just imagine no one taped by the ceiling and just painted all around it i still have pictures on my phone to this day just to laugh about oh my you know God. where I, those humble beginnings and uh needless to say they did not receive their deposit back but <laughs> it's all about that experience and getting started and that's what i tell people you got to start start small and you don't have to scale as far as like the stack method, like go to two units, then four units, then eight. I mean, I know people have gone from two units to hundred units. I know people have gone from 60 units to 250 units. It's just about how they want to do it. And uh, definitely doing the duplex like you did, you learned a lot from, and even doing that flip, you even learned more from. It's just learning mm -hmm. in stages, right? Yep. And the other thing that I think is amazing about house hacking is because you're an owner occupant, you can get the best financing for it. Yep. So like I got an FHA loan, three and a half percent down. That's how I ended up getting into that house for like five grand. Cause then I negotiated like repair credits and closing costs off of my, you know, the money I had to bring to the table. If you're just going to buy a single family house, you can get a conventional loan for 3% down. Yeah. It's a strong, there's strong programs out there for that owner occupant. Mm -hmm. um, let's get into the multifamily side a little bit more. So what caused you to write this book? What inspired you to write it? So when I was getting into multifamily, you know, one of the things that really drew me to it was the fact that 
these are bigger deals. And so each team member on these deals, they can bring their own skill set to the table. So like mine, I'm good with numbers and spreadsheets. I don't necessarily have to be good at managing contractors, renovations, or finding deals. And because I have an accounting and a finance background, that was how I was going to foray myself into deals. You know, I was going to be that numbers guy. Well, I start teaching myself how to underwrite deals. I'm going on websites like LoopNet and Crexy, pulling the financials for properties and just getting my reps in. And I realized I had no idea how to analyze these properties. You know, I could literally build a financial model to, to underwrite them, but I didn't know like what rent should be in certain markets, what expenses should be, right. what rehab costs were going to be. I didn't know how to actually operate a building and I didn't know where to find the answers for these underwriting assumptions. And then it kind of just came to me, you know, if I'm, I think I'm like definitely better than the average person with numbers, spreadsheets and analyzing deals. If I'm having this much trouble analyzing these deals, then your average person probably doesn't even get to the point I did, you know, where I kind of powered through it and figured it out. They probably just quit. Right. And I was able to get into a deal because I learned how to analyze properties. Um, so I ended up writing the book because hopefully, hopefully it'll help at least someone figure out like how to get past that. Like, you know, I guess the initial learning curve where they're just like, I can't figure this out and they give up too early. And then, you know, maybe they give up on real estate altogether. Right. Yeah. I definitely hear you. And, you know, I know a decent portion of the deal underwriting analyzing aspect. And I even took away a few things in this book that I thought were pretty helpful as well. So it's always good when you have good topics in there. Um, for your guys group, so you're with uh, Kronos Investment Partners, that's your mm -hmm. guys uh, investment firm. What markets are you looking at currently right now? So we're really trying to build up a presence in Florida right now because one of my partners okay. lives there. And so he's in, he's in Jacksonville, which is a great market. And then we have some networks and contacts out in Columbus, Ohio. I like that market a lot and starting to, I'd love to build something out in like Colorado or Utah. Cause I have some contacts there as well. And they're okay. markets. And it, how do you guys kind of figure out what markets you want to like dive into? Obviously the Florida one, cause you have a partner that's there. So boots on the ground. What about like mm -hmm. other markets you guys are looking at? You know, we look for all those demographics that, everyone looks for it's nothing like super special or fancy population growth job growth income diversification unemployment rates crime stuff like that that you want to see in a good market like growing population companies are moving there crime is decreasing but what's really important to us is making sure that we do have trusted boots on the ground in that market or in the case of you know going out west like my brother lives there i plan to move out to colorado so I don't mind taking a flight out to Colorado because I'm going to go ski for a week and then I'm planning right. to move there myself. But in all those areas that we're looking, it's either a very short plane ride or we already have boots on the ground there. Okay. Awesome. And what is the criteria you guys are kind of looking for at the moment as far as mm -hmm. property goes? Is it uh, a certain unit count price per unit class? Mm -hmm. What works for you guys? So we have a couple of different models we're searching for. We're looking for like a 20 to a 50 unit to do a joint venture with in Florida, because we have a couple of people there who, you know, they have some big money backing them and they want to do a JV and then looking more in the 80 to 100 unit range to do a syndication uh, with another sponsor. 
And as far as like property criteria, we look more for the location of the building than anything such as like the age. I mean, 70s and newer, you know, that's great. But I'll take like a really old kind of distressed property if it's in a good location and we can actually bring it up to the neighborhood. I'm not so hot on taking like newer, well-maintained buildings if the neighborhood around them is bad. Right, right. And there's no value really to add there with newer, yeah. well-maintained buildings. You know, we, what we look for, you know, for the listeners that are listening, uh, you know, we're looking for value and we're looking for below market rents and deferred maintenance uh, mm-hmm. uh, and an okay building in a great area. You know, those are all things that we can build value with for that. Right. Awesome. Okay. Um, and then what was the other thing I was going to say with it? So for your metrics that you guys are looking at when you're analyzing buildings, what are you looking for for like IRR, equity mm-hmm. multiple, uh, cash on cash? What makes you guys happy? It, it kind of depends on the deal. I mean, if I'm looking at like a really distressed value add deal, I'm probably going to be looking for an IRR around 20% over five years. The cash on cash on that is going to be around 10%. And let's just talk, you know, five-year hold periods and all of these. If it's more of a a light value add, anywhere between like 15 to 17%, 8% average cash on cash. And then in some cases, I'll even take, you know, let's say we're we're looking at a deal in Jacksonville. Phenomenal market with a lot of upside just just for the market. You know, I would take like 8% average cash on cash with a 13% IRR if it's just something that's like completely stabilized in a great neighborhood without a lot of deferred maintenance. Yeah. And you know, a a market like Jacksonville, if you're in the right pockets and it's, you know, doesn't Mm -hmm. have too many issues, it's going to appreciate really a lot. Yeah. Uh, Especially like you said, you guys do your market analysis. I know Jacksonville is a very popular area in Mm -hmm. Florida and I've got a buddy who wholesales there. And I mean, he does hundreds of deals a year just because of how busy that market is and how many investors are moving into there. Right. And if you're like, if we go in Jacksonville, you know, if we're underwriting 13% IRR, we're not underwriting much appreciation. I mean, we might have like slight rental increases. Realistically, if we manage that thing, well, we're probably going to have much higher than a 13% IRR because that market is booming right now. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, So we're going to transition over into the next section of the show. Did you have anything you wanted to touch on uh, while we're on the topic of multifamily? No, let's do it. Okay. Awesome. So we're going to head over to what's called the curious cues. I'm going to fire some questions at you that we ask every guest and let's get your answer on them. Favorite podcast you enjoy listening to. Ooh, well, I do have my own podcast called the millennials and multifamily, but okay. uh, I'll, I'll give someone else's. I really like for multifamily. Ben Labovich has a podcast called multifamily syndication unscripted. That was a huge resource for me to learn how to analyze deals. Okay. So you found that one to be pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, favorite book you enjoy reading? Favorite book I enjoy reading. Does it have to be a real estate book? Does not have to be real estate related. You know, the, the Game of Thrones books, I really enjoyed them. And oh, really? That's cool. I, I hope he finishes the series. That's pretty sweet. Okay. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? Oh, I mean, believing that I could go straight from like, you know, failing on a single family flip to buying these big apartment complexes. Okay. Favorite non-real estate related hobby? Snowboarding. Snowboarding. Okay. Because you said you like going out to Colorado, you said, right? Hitting the mountains there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
and newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get started in real estate? Yeah, I don't think real estate is rocket science. It just, if you have determination and grit and you don't quit, I think anyone can be successful in this. And when you're just learning, you don't have a network of contacts and you don't know the numbers, you're probably going to pass up on some good deals, but it's all about just building traction and momentum. Awesome. Okay. And John, if someone wanted to get in contact with you or reach out to you, how could they get a hold of you? I'm pretty active on Facebook. So John, J-O-H-N, Stober, S-T-O-E-B as in boy, E-R. I have an Instagram. It's also just John underscore Stober. And you can check us out at our podcast, the Millennials and Multifamily Podcast as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Dante. I appreciate yours as well. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.